Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. We watch overlooked movies and TV and report our findings. Today we're discussing romantic films. We'll be playing a rousing game of is this a real celebrity couple, true or false? We'll be pitching a film with actors and themes provided by our own significant others. And then we'll leave you with what items have been on our cinematic radar. Pull up a chair, baby. So Meg, um, there are a lot of uh, surprising celebrity couples out there, um, as I'm sure you're aware. No, so, no. <laughs> so I have uh, made a little quiz for you because Uh-oh. you kind of know more about I don't know, like pop culture and like a lot of these are '90s couples. Okay, so I'm then, like, I yeah, think that's you the might, secret part. That's you're secret like, it's secret. Like pop culture from 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so sort of a Gen X uh, couple yeah. quiz. My Your true generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, got a list of celebrity couples. Okay. And some are true and some are false. Some I made up. So, okay. because they're all, I mean, they're all equally surprising. So, we'll just, we'll have fun here. Okay. okay. I'm ready. <laughs> I think. I think. Okay, Brad Pitt and Tandy Newton from like Westworld. Yeah. And, you know. uh, false? True. <gasps> what? I know. Sarah Paulson and Cherry Jones. And also give me a little look if you're like, who I the don't hell know is who that? Cherry Jones is. Um, I'm trying to think of something she was in that's famous. I don't know. I can't think okay. of anything. Okay. So true? So, true? Yeah. Let's look away. Yes. Sean Penn and Scarlett Johansson. Oh, gross. I actually think that might be true. <laughs> it is true. Ew, uh, also, I'm not keeping score, so it's not yeah. that kind of game. Yeah, thank you. I'm a, well, I'm the only contestant. So exactly. I win. <laughs> You're out of here. Um, okay, Sean Penn and Cheryl Crow. False, I hope. <laughs> um, false. Uh, it was Jewel, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> I had to choose someone from the little Fair. Someone adjacent? On the main okay. stage, yeah. Um, Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Because okay. I remember there was like the thing where he went to the Oscars and was like in Black Face oh, maybe. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the, I, oh, that's the I image that flashed that. in my head. Like, that's just burned in my, <laughs> my brain. Also, if I'm wrong about any of these, this is all from uh, that Tumblr that's like old loves or something. Oh, okay. So, um, and I tried to Google like the made up ones and there were some that I, um, I assumed were, fu- well, we'll get to that anyways. There's some that I'm like, oh, I've made up this couple and no, not so much. Um, <laughs> you so, shipped them into reality. Yeah, exactly. 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so if I'm wrong on any of these, definitely, you know, slide in my DMs or yeah. send us an email about it. Okay. Laura Dern and Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, false. True. What? Uh, this is oh, this is an old one. How did he have the time? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, and why? And yeah. yeah. Um, okay, this is an old old Hollywood uh, one. Mickey Rooney and Ava Gardner. Do you know? <laughs> I just realized. I do you know who they are. both are. Okay. Ava Gardner, sex symbol. Yeah, Mickey he, Rooney. Ugh, uh, diminutive. Gross. <laughs> oh. I, that's probably true. Uh, it's true. They were married for like oh, a year. Really? Yeah. Wow, anyways, that's a mismatch. That's kind of what gave me the inspiration <laughs> for this this list. I'm just like, anyway. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of old Hollywood couples where it's like, like they were actually married and had children, and you're like, like huh? oh, really? Now, yeah. Robin Wright and Christian Bale. Ooh, that's sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, but false. Yes, you're right. It's false. Yeah, I, like, I, I think she's been married a long time, and then she was married to Trump. But anyway, I'm yeah. like just timeline wise. Sound, yeah. sound like it could have happened though. Yeah, okay. that does sound sexy though. Okay, it does. <laughs> um, Owen Wilson and Cheryl Crow. <laughs> so Cheryl Crow again. There's a few people that repeat. On the that list. sounds true. Yeah, they, they're, they're just like, so laid back. You know, yeah, they're just, they're just like they're chill and listening to like guitar <laughs> solos. I don't know. Tyra Banks and Seal. See, this is another one where I'm like, all I think it was Seal and Heidi Klum, mm-hmm. so false? True. What? what? I don't know when. Sorry, all of these, I'm like, I don't know when any of this happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just look it up. And I never know how to say this guy's name. Billy Crudup? Crudup? Crudup. 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 He's kind of like a crusty old guy. Yeah, yeah I know. Not exactly. old, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Billy Crudup and Jennifer Jason Lee. That sounds true. False. Oh, what? He was with... Oh, what's that girl from Fragrant Tomatoes? Oh, God, it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, no, the it's the, the other, the other girl. Three-namer. It's, um, it's um, Mary... Elizabeth Parker. 
Bowles. No, wait, that's the Mary the Brats or something. Mary, oh, Mary Louise Parker. Yes. Okay. okay. And, okay, that's okay. someone I definitely, like, yes. get them Yes, confused. exactly. The three namers. Yeah. And he, um, she was pregnant with this kid, and then he left her for Claire Danes. That's right. I know. Okay. okay. So, anyway. So, he is full of. He's, he's all he's crud. up, is right. Yeah. You know? Anyways. Helen Hunt and Robert Downey Jr. Well, he was just kind of a Lothario all over the place, so true? False. Um, I think, yeah, I guess she's a little too wholesome for him, huh? In those, like, in the 90s days? Well, I think he dated Jennifer, or uh, SJP, Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker. Yeah. And I think she dated Matthew Broderick. So I thought maybe <gasps> Ellen just, like, uh, crossed the wires there. Well, she, and she married Matthew Broderick. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Sarah but, Jessica Parker, gotcha. Yeah. Courtney Cox and Michael Keaton. <laughs> oh, wait, no. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you said Michael Caine at first. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just throwing you some curveballs. I don't know, like true. Courtney <laughs> uh, Cox and Michael Keaton, true? Yep. That sounds... I know, it's a weird one. It's yeah. like the timelines don't seem to match they up. They don't. Yeah. This is a little bit of an older one, 70s one. Freddie Prince Sr., and uh, Pam Greer. Ooh, true? I mean, you're like, I know that has to be true, because why would you be pull that one out of mothballs? For Freddie Prince Sr. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an actor I thought of off the top of my <laughs> it head. It would have been a good curveball. I'm gaming the system. I'm turning yeah, like yeah. GREs where I'm like, okay, well, it's <laughs> too weird to be. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to tell or something. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel Weisz and Ewan McGregor. Uh, false. False, you're right. Yeah, because he's been married a long time to okay. like, the same lady, I think. Um, Rachel Weisz and Daniel Craig. True? That is true, but you know what? I wrote it down as a made-up one and Googled it to make sure, and they are together with a kid. Or uh, maybe more, yeah. Oh, like currently? Yeah, I think. Um, Yeah, wow. No, I I don't know. I'm not not up on, like, current celeb gossip, I definitely don't know. So that's, I just thought it was a little surprise to me. You you manifested it. I know, I did. Jessica Lange and Mikhail Baryshnikov. Ooh, I hope it's true. <laughs> it's very true. That's like another sexy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Carrie Mulligan and Shia LaBeouf. Ew. False, I hope. <laughs> it's true. Oh, no. <laughs> Cher and Val Kilmer. I really think that's true. It's true. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Cher fan, so I'm like, that sounds yeah, like I'm one of her sure. loves. Yeah. <laughs> um, Val Kilmer and Cindy Crawford. Uh, that's a timeline one that gets me confused. False? True. Whoa. Yeah. He's a real ladies' man. Val Kilmer and Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, now I'm going to say true. False. Ah, you Ooh, got me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and just a couple more. Um, Matt Damon and Winona Ryder. Oh, that's confusing because they both dated a lot of people. I'm going to say true? Uh, true, but I do not remember that. Like, I, I looked it okay. up, and I was like, really? <sighs> I was like, my brain was, like, going through, like, a slideshow of images <laughs> of, like, them with various other partners in, like, yeah. 90s paparazzi <laughs> photos. I'm like, I think I've seen that. But then I'm like, it, am I just blending them? Am I photoshopping yeah. that in yeah. my brain? But, yeah, no. okay. Uh, okay, last one. Timothy Chalamet and Madonna's daughter, Lourdes. Ugh, that's annoying. Probably true. Yeah, it's true. Okay. <laughs> I know, I saw a picture, and I'm like, what? Like, they went to high school together or something oh they dated in high as school as much as like people like that go to high school i guess oh, they went to high school together. oh is he another richie rich must Probably. be if you went to high school with madonna's Doesn't child he look like he would have yeah been. he sure does so he's basically yeah. the kid he played in lady bird <laughs> yeah yeah okay well i don't no, know yeah. i think i was maybe i think you made like a, a 500 like, like, like a c <laughs> yeah, yeah like solid c barely passed <laughs> barely passed but yeah Seeing that, you know, this episode airs in February, love is in the air, we're holing up with some of our interesting romantic picks. I can't yep. say they're yeah. favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, do you want to start us off? Yeah, definitely. So this list, I did not plan it this way, but there's three directorial debuts and then two kind of weird versions of rom-coms from two different directors whose work I just love. So my first one 
is Barry Jenkins' directorial debut, feature debut, Medicine for Melancholy. Okay. Um, so it basically follows 24 hours of a morning after with mm. two people who are played by Wyatt Sanek and Tracy Higgins. And they're in San Francisco. They're both, like, indie kids in San Francisco's, like, you know, mid-2000s. So it's, mm-hmm. like, the primo kind yeah. of, like, <laughs> indie rock <laughs> era. Um, and they're navigating their own dynamic as, like, people that literally met the night before and don't know each other's names. <laughs> yeah. Their other relationships, past and current. Mm. And then the complexities of being black and in the indie music scene in San Francisco. Yeah. In its, like, that super crazy rapid gentrification time of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tracy Higgins is Joe, and she wakes up next to Micah, played by Wyatt Senek, <laughs> and she goes out, she agrees to go out to coffee with him, but more out of being awkward than anything else, and then she, like, gives him a fake name and number, and like, bye, and leaves without her wallet. Oh. <laughs> so he has to track her down, and then they end up spending more time together. And as I'm describing it, I'm realizing this sounds like all these, like, indie rom-com tropes, but... It is Barry Jenkins, so he complicates oh. it by calling out these social and cultural anxieties that mm-hmm. they have um, themselves, and they each have very different experiences um, with interracial relationships and just being feeling kind of invisible in a scene that's like so overwhelmingly white. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely see the beginnings of Barry Jenkins' kind of signature style. Uh, The film is actually mostly black and white, except for a few sort of splashes of color. And the cinematographer is James Laxton, who also did the cinematography for Moonlight and Beale Street. And it's just very quiet and reflective. There's a lot of scenes that are very... Um, very sparse dialogue and so Jenkins just kind of lets the intimacy unfurl on its own and I remember seeing it when it came out and it was compared I mean favorably to a lot of mumblecore movies Mm -hmm. but because it's got you know it's got kind of like that lo-fi indie Mm -hmm. production value but I think there's a lot more like complex emotional depth in the film Mm -hmm. even though I am sympathetic to the mumblecore genre like the best examples of it but it's kind of surprising to me actually i know well the best examples of it like beeswax Mm -hmm. but obviously it can be really one note and generally is mainly focused on the inner lives of really privileged whiny white people Mm -hmm. so i think this is just like a lovely like again like i love those like all takes place in less than 24 hours kind of Mm -hmm. movies so kind of like before sunrise but without the Mm -hmm. kind of magical like <laughs> suspension of disbelief quality yeah. um my first one is a pre-code hollywood film called design for living from 1933 it's by ernst lubich who is one of my favorite directors i'll go into him in a bit but it's basically bringing up baby meets jules and jim so it okay. is a a movie about uh polyamory which is whoa incredible. pre-code you said so okay it's like you're real saucy yeah so three artists played by um, these uh, Hollywood stars, Miriam Hopkins, Gary Cooper, and Frederick March. I don't know if anyone knows who that is, but they're old-timey <laughs> stars. So they have a three-way meet-cute on a train to Paris, and she starts dating both men, and then they kind of realize, like, okay, this isn't going to work. So she was like, um, let's have a gentleman's agreement, and we w- I won't date either of you, and I'll actually I'll put my career on hold and help you um, – like, with your careers, I'll be, like, your business manager, which normally I'd be, like, uh-oh. Yeah. But I think because I was, like, oh, she's a business manager. So right. it's, like, she's it's still like a position getting, of power. Yeah. It's not just, like, most movies where it's, like, well, I'm a female CEO, but now I'm married. So <laughs> <Yeah>. bye-bye. <laughs> Baby boom. Baby that was boom. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and so pretty soon the gentleman's agreement falls through. She ends up uh, – oh, yeah, and then their careers are wildly successful. She starts dating, or she marries this uh, conservative uh, caricature of a man. Anyway, his <laughs> real stuff shirt, and then the the guys are basically like, uh, "Okay, we got to get her back, and we got to do it as as a team because it's got to be the three of us." I don't think they're fucking, by the way. If that's it's, yeah. it's really just truly, she's fucking both of them. Yeah, um, and so they go to uh, her society party, and uh, they cause a ruckus, and they steal her away. And then in the end, they're like, okay, these uh, lavish new lifestyles we've, you know, gained or whatever uh, with our our spoils, whatever, from mm-hmm. our artistic uh, you know, endeavors. Um, let's go back to our bohemian lifestyle in Paris. That's when we were happiest. And But we'll have a gentleman's agreement, quote unquote, you know, winking at the audience. Yeah. Like, so we'll just be friends. And of course, <laughs> you know that they're just, you yeah. know, going to start fucking right away. <laughs> so I just love that the director uh, Lubitsch and the co-writer Ben Hecht 
uh, outwitted the censors by sort of creating this like off-screen space. So it's sort of a comedy of omission. So a lot of the things the characters say run contrary to what they're actually doing. And a lot of things happen behind closed doors or in between mm, scenes. Interesting. So obviously like the gentleman's agreement, it's like wink, wink, you know, yeah. like we know they're not going to adhere to that. And the, I was just going to say the director, Ernst Lubitsch, uh, is a German uh, writer-director who started in the silent era and moved to Hollywood in the, the early talky period, yeah. uh, which I guess we're still in technically yeah. uh, <laughs> for now. Um, so he pretty much created the rom-com genre. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he worked until his death in 1947. He's most likely known as a director of Ninochka and the Shop Around the Corner, which oh, okay, is, uh, yeah. you've got mail, right? Yeah, yeah. pretty much mm-hmm. a, yeah. Uh, remake of that and I don't think that there's a single film of his that I don't love like I have loved every film I mean not to overhype but honestly he's um incredibly witty um I think he's kind of like a a cheeky humanist so it's like it's not that he necessarily thinks the best of people but even at their worst it's kind of like with a wink and a smile yeah and I just think that his particular kind of sense of humor is perfectly suited to the medium of film because a lot of his jokes, I don't know how they would play in any other medium. Sorry, that's just yeah, something I've thought about. Like, like, okay, theater, maybe. Anyways, I'm obviously a huge fan of his, and he just has this incredible visual wit that's hard to describe, but it's unmistakable when you see it. And so I was going to also say the screenwriter, uh, Ben Hecht, um, who pretty much created Hollywood, as I was going down his resume. So he helped write, either like wrote the story or co-wrote um, Scarface, the original, A Star is Born the original one, uh, Front Page, which was a play of his, and then it became like his Girl Friday and was remade a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Stagecoach, uh, a couple other like tragic romances that I was going to include in the list. I just didn't have time and I thought it might be a little bit of a downer. Um, <laughs> but these like, if you want like a really good weepy uh, Hollywood film, uh, Lydia and Portrait of Ginny, just let's see, oh, and pretty much all of like Hitchcock and like film noir, like just mm, tons yeah. of it. Oh, yeah, and also so he was like a, a script doctor, which is my dream job, Yeah, as you know. So a uh, big fan of his generally. Oh, yeah, and also saw that he was a crime reporter early in his career, and he helped crack many cases, including the Ragged Stranger murder in 1921. <laughs> so Google that because that, that is sounds quite like a, t- a film. <laughs> I know, I was, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I would highly recommend it if you just want like a real saucy kind of screwball comedy. Okay. So my next one is another feature directorial debut, A Strange Fits of Passion, 1999, by Elsie McCready. Came across this as I'm working my way through the Generation Starstruck list. Oh, yeah. She's an Australian uh, woman director. She's probably more known as an actor and a writer for Australian TV. But she directed Strange Fits of Passion, in which Michaela Noonan plays this 20-something gal living in a house with roommates, working in a bookstore, like a used bookstore. Mm. Uh, one of those, like... Wall to ceiling, oh, crammed my books, dream. Um, and she kind of gets increasingly in her head in her quest to lose her virginity. So <laughs> it's classic, yeah. So it's kind of a bit of a more indie Bridget Jones or like a indie movie Sex in the City vibe because mm. she cycles through these potential love interests, oh, like yeah. this like romantic poet, a Spanish instructor, this woman that she meets in a class who's like a social activist. And it works really well as this kind of understated comedy about this kind of, like, awkward, self-absorbed girl who's looking for sex, maybe love, sort of secondarily. But then I have to tell you that it takes this (laughs) really weird dramatic turn, seemingly out of nowhere, that's so incongruous with the rest of the plot that I felt like I had, like, missed something or that, like, the version that I had had cut some scenes. It had not. It just, (laughs) like, McCready just injects this tragedy, really serious tragedy huh. out of nowhere, doesn't do anything with it. The characters huh. are like, cha- it changes the whole nature of the movie and the characters, but it just doesn't actually like drive the plot. It's just really bizarre. And it kind of ends up treating a pretty serious subject really cavalierly, so it's kind of a fail. That sounds like a real rat boy scenario yeah, there, was. Meg. That's what we call it on the show. It, it, just a rat totally, boy. it was a bummer, because I loved the movie, and then I was like, what, what am I watching? Yeah. I mean, so it's worth a watch with that caveat. Like, yeah. I would just say, I don't well, want to be held responsible yeah. for the last, like, 15 <laughs> minutes of the movie. You don't really often see a film centering a young woman who's looking to lose her virginity in her 20s. She's taking a lot of agency over that. 
she's separating the love and the sex elements very mm-hmm. clearly in her mind. And I don't think that's very common, mm-hmm. especially when it's centering on a woman. So I think it's worth it for that. I just... <laughs> Boy, it was a really... It was a really cool a real And I think maybe it's because it was the director's first film. Like, she was like, oh, this is too lighthearted. Too and, and I need to inject something serious. And I'm like, I don't know who gave her that advice, but it was bad advice. And frankly, she's only made it... She, I think she only directed one more film after that, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it almost, like, I think if she had let it play as this, yeah. like, little comedy, it would have done a lot better. Yeah. I would say it's a studio note, but if it's, like, an indie film, then probably it's not. Probably not. No. Yeah. Maybe she had, like, her dad was like, honey, I don't know. I don't I know the thing no, right The now. thing that happened is so <laughs> fucked up that oh, I okay, can't imagine like, it was a note from, I really don't <laughs> know. Anyone that cares about her? A friend of me. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> Well, Meg, one of my cinematic goals for this year was to watch more films from Asia and to watch, uh, finally watch a film from the famed director Hong Sang-soo. I've only gone and bloody done it here and done, uh, <laughs> sorry, I've been watching a lot of British TV. Um, so right now, Wrong Then, uh, 2015, obviously directed by Hong Sang-soo. So it's kind of like if Eric Romer directed Sliding Doors. <laughs> The first part shows uh, the character of a film director uh, visiting a town to screen one of his films. Shows up a day early, he's got time to kill. He meets a young woman, they spend the day together and and also the evening, and they have chemistry, but things don't go really great, and you kind of know things aren't going to work out. Uh, The second half of the film shows the exact same day, but in like an alternate timeline um, where things go, where there are just like slight differences. And the major events still happen. They like get coffee, go to her art studio, get a drink, go to her friend's house for dinner. But because of these minuscule differences, like in their mood and what they choose to reveal and how they handle these things, um, the day goes completely differently. So I think it kind of brilliantly illustrates how capricious we are um, and how fateful our whims and moods can be. But in the same way, it also shows how, like, predictable humans are and, like, but, like, malleable. Yeah. Um, so depending on, like, how the idea is presented to us, like, I mean, we've all been there where, like, someone could do the same thing, like, drunkenly sing a song at karaoke that we hate. But, like, if it's a friend, we're like, oh, how funny and how cute and charming. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, them singing, like, sublime. I'm trying to think of the worst. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think the of worst. the worst song. Yeah. You're like, no, that's a fail. But anyway, no, but, you know, if it's someone annoying, you're like, ugh, you roll your eyes and yeah. you're so annoyed. But if it's a friend, you're like, oh, what a goof. You yeah, know, fun. totally. I'll so, indulge I don't know. it. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, and also I noticed that um, Hong Sang-soo's direction would change, like, between the first part and the second part. And so I don't know if he was saying that um, the way a director uh, shoots a film or edits it or whatever, um, if that is manipulating the audience or if he's saying, I'm just directing it based on the mood of the right. piece itself. Yeah, like, even the framing and stuff, mm-hmm. what I remember, is, like, slightly different. Mm-hmm. And I have, all, this also brings to the point of, like, I've always been curious about how certain people in my life would have perceived me if they'd met me on, like, a different day or if, like, we'd been in different moods or something yeah. and how, like, that first impression would change the course of, like, the rest of our, like, relationship or our, our lives, potentially. So, I don't know. So Do you I, feel if, like, okay, do you feel like if if the contemporary Carrie Bradshaws of the world were watching this movie, <laughs> they would, like, get them all in their head being like, oh, if I don't say things perfectly right oh. on this date, it totally, yeah. rrr, it's a real Yeah, I guess you could really get in your, head. You just get in your head about it. I, I, like, watching the movie, I was thinking about that, that, like, oh, if I were, like, currently, like, on the dating scene, would I be like, oh, no, oh, if buddy. I just, like, if I don't yeah. say things exactly right, this yeah. is a real... I mean, I mean, but it's probably true. I don't need to be any more in my head about anxiety and self-awareness, <laughs> I so I probably shouldn't be thinking about these things. Um, well, you're not trying to currently land a man, so yeah, don't exactly. just I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm trapped. Um, so, I was just going to say, the female lead in the film is called by, uh, played by Kim uh, Min-hee, who also starred in The Handmaiden, uh, the erotic thriller That's by what Park Chan Wook. Yes, um, and so it shares similar themes to my last pick, which we'll get to. So I just love that film, and it's sort of a romance, sort of you know, sort yeah. of worth mentioning. And also, this is just like a really random note, but um, Hong Sang Soo also directed this film. So when the Futures female T-shirts came out years ago, I was like so adamant somehow for like for a second that it was a ripoff of one of Hong Sing Su's um, earlier uh, titles, earlier films, which was "Man is the Future." Wait, "Woman is the Future of Man," and so I, it's like what you have to admit would be a good yeah. like it's been sent through Google Translate a few times, kind totally. of a ripoff. But like but, in my head, like yeah. the first thing I thought of when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute, uh, and you that's know what? That movie. actually would have been a less 
problematic phrasing of the of that slogan because <laughs> it's like woman. Oh and yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Woman is a more inclusive. Man. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, print them up. We got <laughs> it. <laughs> Teespring <laughs> Zazzle. <laughs> Um, there's no transition from that to my <laughs> next one a... <laughs> at all. I really loved this movie. It's another direct, well, feature-length mm-hmm. debut uh, by Donna Deitch, uh, Desert Hearts, 1985. Oh, okay. okay. <gasps> I'm like, no, I'm so, <laughs> when it was released in 85, it was pretty groundbreaking because it's a love story about two women. It was made entirely independently, <laughs> and it was a budget of $1.5 which is low um, by a woman director and it's based on the 1964 novel desert of the heart by jane rule so it's set in the late 50s and helen shaver plays this columbia literature professor Mm. professor vivian bell (laughs) and she's come she comes to town on the train to reno nevada to file for divorce because i think in this era it was like a known thing you could establish residency in nevada for six weeks like six i know this from old movies yep exactly well literally (laughs) and then once you kind of waited that out it was easier to obtain a divorce because it was harder to do in other states so she's doing that She's getting a divorce from her former husband, who's, like, another academic, and they've had this very, like, perfect on-paper life. So she stays at a ranch run by a former dancer, mm. but she falls in love with the owner's stepdaughter, Kay, who's played by Patricia Charbonneau. And Kay works at a casino, but she's a sculptor, and she's an artist who was kicked out of college for being gay, because it was the 50s. Oh, yeah. Um, and they start this slow-burning romance. Mm. And Vivian has to come to terms with her interest in smoothing out her life and, like, trying to return things to normal. But how that works with Kay's pretty out lifestyle, mm-hmm. considering it was the 50s. I mean, I know it's in the West, so it was people were a little more, like, doing their thing. No but, like, Kay's, like, out to her family and her friends. And, mm-hmm. like, people, some people accept that more than others. Like, there's a range, but she's definitely, like, yeah. not hiding living out, anything. Living out loud, yeah. So, you know, it's a pre-Carol romantic drama yeah, about say. two women, but it's without the Todd Haynes. I mean, I love Carol, but it's without the Todd Haynes, like, flair for the melodramatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, like, these brassy broads and western wear <laughs> and, like, Ooh. incredible slacks, I just have to oh. say. Like, whoever the costume designer was in 85, I didn't look it up, but really <laughs> nailed it. Right. Um, just really human, low-key performances. Oh, at one point, Kay wears this, like, all-silver, like, pantsuit ensemble that, like, single-handedly sells me on Western, where I'm like, I want that. It's (laughs) iconic. Oh, and also, I have to say, except for one kind of dumb dude who, like, can't take a hint, uh, the men in the movie, who are really tertiary characters at best, are kind of nevertheless these genuinely sweet and good and understanding Mm -hmm. men who are not threatened by the women in their lives and the choices they make. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Oh, yeah. It's, you'll love it. It's so mm, good. I'm so excited. Well, the next one is another film from South Korea. So I was not fucking around with my no. board. <laughs> so, and it's yet another director I've never seen before. Okay. So it's the movie's called Time. It's from 2006 by director uh, Kim Ki Duck from South Korea, as I already said. Um, and it's on Canopy or Canopy. <gasps> so, yeah. Canopy. Canopy. So it's basically face-off meets vertigo. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> a lot of uh, plastic surgery. Oh, wow. I mean, you don't... Well, I guess you, you do see a bit of it anyway. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure um, where this film falls within his, like, oeuvre, but um, it checked a lot of boxes for me. Face-swapping, questioning identity, and an elliptical plot. And it falls on the speculative fiction side of romantic films, which is more of my jam. Yeah. So basically, it's two 20-somethings have been boyfriend and girlfriend for two years. She's extremely insecure that he's bored with her and her looks, and she disappears for six months without telling him so she can get just loads of plastic surgery and completely change her face. So she returns with a completely different look. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's played by two different actresses. Oh, well, um, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So she returns with a new face. I mean, literally. Um, and uh, and she has a similar name to her former self. And she wants to find out. Uh, well, so it's like she wants to find out if he's like mourning her, if he misses her, or but also in a weird way, like wants to like present herself anew to kind of give herself like a second chance. Oh. But then she's also like, oh well, who's your ex girlfriend? You know, like she's like weirdly jealous huh. for her old self, but she's also jealous for her new self. Like you keep talking about this old, you know, girlfriend, yeah. but then also like you're forgetting your ex girlfriend pretty quickly. Oh. So uh, <laughs> really, she's, she's kind of breaking like, double cock blocking yeah. herself. <laughs> and um, so her insecurities have uh, now doubled. 
so the boyfriend uh, is still like mourning the the old girlfriend runs off for six months again. Apparently, just six months is like the magic time, yeah. to, you know, for healing from face surgery. Um, so he goes uh, to get a bunch of uh, plastic surgery, so completely change his face. Boy, people and are just people are just. I know it's a world where this is just like a standard issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like in the future or anything, but right, it's just it's kind not of Brazil like Brazil, where people are. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it's kind of this unspoken, like, like oh, I'm gonna go get a manicure. I'm gonna go swap okay, my face out. Uh, yeah, see you right. in six months. So he runs off, gets the plastic surgery, and she kind of goes insane because he doesn't tell her like like he doesn't reintroduce himself into her life and like hey it's me with my new face so she's constantly questioning like every guy she meets yeah she meets a string of men and she's basically like is it you is it you and like for a second sometimes you're like it is him and then you're like no it's not and so she's kind of left wondering and so she kind of goes insane (laughs) yeah i mean um understandable yeah and i'm not really sure why it's called time so i don't know if that's like a translation thing if it's like an english title or yeah. if it just has to do with the, the six month yeah uh period of time to get, to get your surgery have your new face grow yeah. in <laughs> but i will say footnote um i found out after watching the film when i started googling for this that he was accused of slapping an actress oh. and of pressuring her to perform in a sex scene that had not been previously agreed upon oh, God. so yeah, so originally I was all, like, pumped for him. I was going to watch this, his other movies, Three Iron and Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring. But this has given me pause. So, I mean, it, of course, it raises oh, the I question. I really like the Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter. Yeah, I've, so, I mean. That's the only one I've seen. Yeah, him, and yeah. obviously, it's a complicated issue of, yeah. of, like, okay, well, obviously, like, dozens or potentially hundreds of people worked on that film, so I don't want to erase their work either. But it's just something to consider, yeah. you know, obviously weigh it uh, for yourself. But just something to keep in mind. Just <laughs> never know. Just another guy in the advent calendar of bad sex men. monsters. <laughs> yeah. The bad man just open advent that door calendar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, well, well, this is a, So my next one uh, is by a director that I truly love and it would crush me to find mm. out something horrible mm-hmm. about him. So yep. I believe in you, Aki Karazmaki. I believe oh, yeah, that you're please. a good, you are, I yeah. really, and I I do think he's a good one. Not fingers good. crossed. Fingers crossed. Because <laughs> um, I really love everything I've seen by I him. I know, I love him. So I'm talking today about Shadows in Paradise, Ooh. which is the first installment in his Proletariat trilogy, along with Ariel mm. and the Match Factory Girl, which are tonally very yeah. distinct <laughs> uh, from Shadows in Paradise. So he's probably Finland's most famous director, Karismaki. Yeah. Uh, he blends social realism with this kind of droll, bemused, comedic mm. timing and delivery. And it's that particular Finnish mix of, like, deadpan humor and melancholy <laughs> mm-hmm. that I cannot resist. <laughs> it's actually a lot like Lubitsch. If you like, it's so okay. Okay. Take a Lubitsch. Yeah, I think right. of them as being a little similar All in right. I like that. Yeah. All right. That, mm-hmm. that does um, yeah. endear Lubitsch to me. Yeah. So in Shadows in Paradise, and I am going to, as I mentioned on a previous episode, don't speak Finnish. So <laughs> I'm going to butcher these. Maddie Pelenpa. Oh. <gasps> I love him so much. Yeah. R.I.P. Okay. Boy. I know. Yeah. Gone too soon, Mari yeah. Palampan. I apologize if I'm butchering this. Uh, he was a frequent collaborator of Karasmaki's. Uh, he plays Nikander, a garbage man who just finds himself a bit at loose ends when his uh, friend and coworker and fellow garbage truck driver uh, dies, like drops dead of a sudden heart attack <gasps> yeah. on his route. And he finds himself really lonely because that was, like, his only pal. So he starts this unlikely romance with a supermarket cashier named Alana, played by Katie Utenen, which she also is a frequent Karazmaki mm-hmm. collaborator. Um, Nikander is so depressed about his friend that he goes and, like, drinks himself to a stupor, gets into a bar fight, ends up in jail, wakes up, and makes friends with the guy who's also in the drunk tank with <laughs> oh, yeah. him, and then gets that guy a job. And then... His new friend ends up being, like, this really encouraging kind of guy, as weird as he is. And so um, Nikander gets up the courage to ask Ilana, the supermarket cashier, on a date. And then it kind of fizzles because he takes her to a bingo hall because he <laughs> thinks that's how you show a gal a good time, I guess. <laughs> and she's like, this is not going to work out. But then Ilana has some really bad luck. Uh, you know, this is a proletariat trilogy, so it's very interested in, like, shitty things that happen to you at work. So she has, like, a shit thing happen at her job. And then she kind of finds Nikander 
sort of because of external like exigencies like she's like "Ooh, i'm a little at loose ends um and their romance starts a little bit more in earnest after she kind of comes back to him mm-hmm. so i really like that aspect of the movie that sometimes relationships can be based on affinity but also like real life happens and sometimes people mm-hmm. have like other like economic reasons or just other social reasons for starting things mm-hmm. anyway I mean, my overall take is you really don't need any Jim Jarmusch movies because Karasmaki does, like, <laughs> a know. similar aesthetic. I mean, starting about at the same time, but, yeah. like, way better. And mm-hmm. the, his stories are centered on just people that you don't normally see represented in films, like, working poor and just social outcasts. And I just find him so deeply endearing. And, like, he often has these really sweet, understated love stories in his movies. I love him. Um, and I love his name. I do love his name. Aki Karasmaki. And I have to read this quote. He's... <laughs> okay endlessly quotable like there's so many like every interview he gives you're like i deeply relate to this man and his love of he supposedly is going to make his last film because i guess the head of the film processing plant in berlin where he gets his films processed is retiring and he's like well i can't that's it so he's like i guess i'm just gonna go retire to a life of mushroom hunting that's it for me i mean it's sad but it's kind of the most adorable reason it really is yeah anyway so he was interviewed last year by the sydney morning herald and he said Of course the working class is not such a sexy and commercial subject, I understand from the popcorn audience, but I couldn't write dialogue for upper class people because I wouldn't know what they say. I don't know if they talk at all. Maybe they're just shopping and selling and buying stocks. Stocks and stockings. I find rich people boring. Oh, <laughs> and I think God. his movies are such a great example of how you don't need to give people all of this like plush, crazy surroundings. That's like so often mm-hmm. in rom coms, there's like no problems. It's just like yeah. no troubles. You're independently mm-hmm. wealthy. Yeah, but you don't actually need that for great romance. Yeah, <sighs> I love him so much. I know. Well, that kind of segues tonally into my next pick. Um, the the Scottish director Bill Forsyth uh, has kind of a similar vibe to Karzmaki, just the sort of like generosity and and wit and so my pick is Gregory's Girl from 1981 and uh it's basically Better Off Dead or 16 Candles yeah. or one of those type of movies and like sex education with nearly indecipherable Scottish accents <laughs> so and I mean I'm a I'm a real I don't know what you call it well I watch everything you know. with subtitles I find it easier that like everything easier yeah, I watch um, everything with everything. captions. <laughs> <laughs> I will say with Canopy, that's a little beef I have oh, is yeah. that the it's like closed captions. It's yeah. not subtitles, so they're like you know crowd murmuring or the, they say the lyrics of the song and things that I'm like I don't want that. Oh, I just, see, I watch everything with closed captions, so I don't even know. Oh, okay, I, I don't I'm just like used that. to it. I oh, I like okay. it. James, I don't care for that. Anyway, that's a personal little mini beef <laughs> yeah. there. Okay. In a small town in Scotland, a teenager named Gregory falls in love with a girl named Dorothy, um, who just joined the high school soccer team. And I know it's football, but come on, it's soccer. Yeah. The uh, the movie does that whole creepy John Hughes thing where everyone in school is like absurdly obsessed with Dorothy, where even like this like photography nerd like has a picture of her, and then he just like prints like multiple copies, and then, like all the guys are like oh, lining up to buy it. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I've, been really, I've actually seen it, but okay. I, it was a, like a long oh, time, enough yeah. time ago that I'm like, huh, probably should revisit. Rewatch. Yeah, yeah, just kind of uh, refresh your memory <laughs> the, on through that. Through the creep lens that we know. Yeah. yeah, so that's the thing. I watched it originally like, I don't know, five, six yeah. years ago, and I was like, how adorable. And right. now as I rewatch, because I was like, that's what I remember, and I watched it yeah. again, I was like, oh boy. So obviously it's a caveat. Right, right, right. And, you yeah. know, but, um, so it does predate those John Hughes movies, so I'm kind of wondering if he got some of his shtick from this, because it's, you yeah. know, uh, ringing a lot of bells here. So, uh, oh, and also there is the opening scene. I was like, can we just, like, edit this scene? <laughs> it's unnecessarily, uh, unnecessary, and it's very problematic of these teen boys uh, literally, like, window-peeping on a woman changing. <gasps> That's and right. And I'm just like... It's a real porky. It's just a yeah. real por- porky <laughs> scenario. So I would prefer to just go ahead and trim that uh, yeah. out. That would help a lot. Um, anyway, so gregory pines for dorothy the whole movie and in the end uh he finally asked her out but um but one of dorothy's friends shows up on the date in her place and just like oh dorothy had like some previous engagement you know some some soccer practice or something and uh, the two decide to like okay we'll just go ahead and go on a platonic date and eventually a string of other girls from the school um kind of do like a tag team date <laughs> and after a couple of rounds he eventually ends up with this girl that he starts to have a good time with and uh their adorable date is like the trailer like in the trailer it's pretty much the entire trailer for the film so it's, i believe that's on youtube um and that really sold it to me when i yeah. first was like yeah should i check this out yeah um so again totally the whole creepy 80s vibe 
yeah, so I'm just saying that that whole thing is too bad because it's actually a really charming movie. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that the girls end up being way more clever than the boys and they concocted the whole scheme. Yeah. Uh, I like that. And I also like how the character of Dorothy is like pretty much immediately accepted onto the uh, the soccer team, and there's not like a bunch of dumb dudes. Like I feel like in the other movie there'd be dudes like trying to like sabotage her, yeah, or a bunch of dads coming to the principal like we can't have this. Oh, but yeah. everyone's automatic. And there's like one second of like no, it's a boys' team, and then she's like watch me play, and he's like you're amazing, you're on the <laughs> yeah, team, sounds you know? great, yeah, I want to win. And then everyone like in the school and I, the game is like totally on board. So I do actually appreciate that. I feel like yeah, that was kind totally. of a rarity. But yeah, it did have a lot of those John Hughes-type tropes. Uh, the wise little sister, the absentee or clueless parents, <laughs> and obviously the creepy behavior. But yeah, I, I feel that uh, I'd like to think that uh, John Forsyth evolved after making this um, uh, because afterwards he made the movie Housekeeping, which I've mentioned before yeah. in another episode, which is about the aunt, the, the wacky aunt raising yeah. the two nieces. So I'm hoping that maybe uh, he saw the error of his ways yeah. and we can still kind of... And anyways, but there's an asterisk on this movie. Yeah, Just definitely. <laughs> hey, you know, a couple of minor. Yeah, like, it was 40 years ago. So, right, exactly. You know. So uh, my last one definitely knows that its protagonist is a putz. So at least it's got that going for it. This is um, a director I love. Modern Romance. 1981 oh. by Albert Brooks, and thank you for letting me have this You're one. You're playing all the hits. I know. Immediately, I was like, you can have it. Yeah, I just <laughs> truly love him. So it's his second uh, feature-length film as a director after Real Life in 79. And in Modern Romance, he plays Robert, a film editor in L.A. He's got his Porsche. He's got his cool bungalow. <laughs> and he it, start, it opens with him breaking up again with his girlfriend, Mary, played by Catherine Harold. And then pretty much immediately he begins second-guessing and worrying that he's made this huge mistake and trying to win her back. <laughs> Sounds like George just stands. I mean, yeah, it has that kind of like, wait a minute, this was the yeah. wrong, this is the yeah. great choice, this is the wrong choice, the great choice, wrong choice. <laughs> Um, even despite the uh, influence of Quaaludes, which are, I guess, still, like, in stock at that time. <laughs> His assistant editor gives him some. So it's kind of like this interesting reverse rom-com in the sense that there's a lot of the same classic tropes of, like, grand gestures of, like, uh, I'm going to, like, yeah. you know, bring all these, like, little presents for you and then like trying to get over somebody and like trying to be healthy blah 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 whatever but at every turn (laughs) it's pretty clear that this is a neurotic individual who is just like functionally incapable of getting out of the way of his own happy ending Mm -hmm. like the film points you to that over and over again and it's pretty clear that uh, robert's pursuit of and love general love of mary is not about her at all but it's pretty much about his own insecurities and jealousies and vanity. Mm-hmm. And I guess, so I was reading an interview, Albert Brooks, from like 2007. He was saying that, I guess, initially Columbia was so delighted with Water Romance that Frank Price, who was a studio head, and his wife flew Albert and Catherine Harold from L.A. to San Francisco on their private jet for like the card preview screening, like the focus group type mm-hmm. screening just to gauge audience reaction. And then the numbers from that were so ugly. The response was so ugly that the, that Frank Price and his wife ditched them and flew back to L.A. that night, like, what? without them. Yeah. So, okay, this is like a quote. I can't do Albert Brooks's impression, oh, but imagine oh, it in his yeah, voice. And he's like, great voice. Yeah, he's like, so I get back to L.A., and Frank calls me into his office. It was as if I'd killed his kid. He had all these cards. He was saying, read these. I don't want to read them. Then I'll read them to you. They say... He's got a Porsche and a good-looking girl. What's his problem? Listen, I don't know what I his mean, problem is. At a psychiatrist scene. Why? Explain it. I can't. <laughs> and so I guess his agent was like, you need to like add at least something in there, whatever. Yeah. And Albert refused. And then his agent was like, why are you insist on taking the high road? And he's like, you think I see two roads? I don't. There's an easy road? I'm not a jerk. <laughs> I have an apartment on the easy road. This is all I know how to do. <laughs> He's like, I can't make this movie. Like, I can't make it more normal because this is, like, what's yeah, in my head. Yeah, exactly. This is all I know. Um, but I guess later, like, he was super depressed about it because it, like, did Aww. horribly. Because the Columbia, like, kind of, you know, f- studios, like, mm-hmm. they get an initial bad reaction. They'll kind of, like, quash things or, like, yeah. not advertise yeah. them. Yeah. So it did poorly without that studio support. And he was just, like, in bed, depressed. But then he was contacted by Stanley Kubrick, who was like, this is a brilliant movie. It's the movie I've always wanted to make about jealousy. Oh, wow. And he was like, oh, like, that's <laughs> Anyway, yeah. that was, like, a great little anecdote. And obviously you hear it in Albert Brooks's voice, like, oh, talking yeah. about it. Oh, I love, love him. him. Well, finally the payoff when I mentioned about erotic <laughs> uh, romance. <Ooh. laughs> 
The Duke of Burgundy, uh, 2014, directed by Peter Strickland. So it's uh, The Handmaiden, that's what I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Not The Handmaid's Tale. Right, right. <laughs> I know, I always admit, wait, which one? Okay. The Handmaiden, <laughs> the sexy one. The meets, sexy one. <laughs> meets uh, The Love Witch. Uh, more in like vibe and like yeah, general yeah. like yeah, nostalgia. Well, yeah. I'm listening. Hey. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Uh, so two women live together and are in a dominant submissive relationship in what I assume is like a version of 1960s, maybe English countryside, though there is sort of an Italian villa vibe. Huh, interesting. So every, there's a lot of British accents, so I'm just going to assume right, it's okay. English countryside. So they have this uh, sub-dom relationship, but soon you find out that the roles don't play out how you'd think. So it ends up being kind of a statement about the roles we play in relationships and the concessions we make to keep the relationships afloat. So uh, one of the women is a, and I was very proud of myself for knowing this off the top of my head, though I did Google it to make sure I had it right. She's a uh, lepidopterist. Ooh, Uh, a butterfly. Yeah, she studies butterflies and moths. And there's some great interludes in which, like, she lectures in front of, like, this, I don't know, I guess it's like lepidopterist. <laughs> what would that be? Anyway, the Butterfly Society. Yeah. Uh, butterfly but, fanciers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so a lot of well-dressed uh, women. Yeah, I guess like an amateur butterfly society. I don't know. Anyways. And so they um, – and also in the crowd, there's like randomly um, – there's some, like panning shots and there's randomly some like mannequins, like dressed mannequins like hidden in the crowd. Okay, I think it's kind of interesting. Talking, but I'm like, wait, I've seen this. Sorry. Okay. I'm just okay, like yeah. – as you're describing it, I'm like, I've well, seen this movie. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. Yeah, continue. yeah. Um, so it is uh, deliciously sexy. And uh, except that they do say the phrase human toilet a few more times than I'd (laughs) I'd like. But anyway, um, and there are no men in the film, which I appreciate. And the music in the film is by a band called Cat's Eye, um, which I have been known to listen to in the past. And I will seek out this uh, soundtrack for sure. And um, if Peter Strickland, the director, sounds familiar, he also did Barbarian Sound Studio a few years ago. It has that Jello vibe to it. And he also directed uh, something I'm going to mention later on in Ooh, the recommendation that I'm very excited about. Sexy. Sexy. We've got some but, sexy movies in yeah, this roundup. I'm very proud of us. Had to do that for, you know, you know romance. you got to have something I mean, a little yeah, sexy. Something a little saucy. Yeah. <laughs> So it's time for our pitch. It's a game in which we each bring two elements unknown to one another, and we pitch a movie on the spot. This time, we're each bringing elements from our respective partners, so mm-hmm. it's like a double blind, <laughs> double blind <laughs> pitch. Well, which one of them in envelopes, and we like didn't Ooh, know. And yeah. oh, okay, well next well, time. Well, next time. Yeah. No for next time. <laughs> so, what is our working title? Okay, today? so when I was down the rabbit hole, I remember this movie from 1993 with Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, I didn't mean it for it to be so creepy with the element of like from our, our lovers are involved with this, but the, t- the working title is. Mother's Boys. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you didn't hear that over the um, cackling, or the cackling, Mother's Boys. <laughs> Anyways, it's look it up. It's a Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. movie where she's, I think she's like a, like a crazy mom that's trying to kill the stepmom and get her kids or something. But it looks pretty anyway. So nutty. anyway, that's its own thing. So okay, so I'm leading this week with yes. um, my partner James Elements, and I love James, and he loves his slow cinema and his melancholy and his, you know, um, kind of art house dramas, tone poems. That's sort of where his head's at. So um, for him, like an Eric Romer film is, uh, uh, he makes Eric Romer seem like a raucous uh, action (laughs) director, you know, Uh, Catherine Bigelow, maybe. So, um, so that's, I'm just saying that's his whole brand. So um, he wants sort of like, um, you know, that Thai director of Uncle Boon Me, Apichat Pong Warastical, where it's very contemplative and like melancholy, and and maybe there's not a lot of dialogue, but you know you just kind of see so this person. So it's like a Thai. It's a Thai film. Yeah. Like so a thai I could director. I could yeah. say it's like maybe maybe he directs it, um, and it's maybe it's even in Thailand. So okay, he wanted Sterling K. Brown. He just wants to see more of him in general, and so he's like maybe like an expat, like he's living in Thailand, and so kind of a, a fish out of water, but not in like the 
the funny My Cousin Vinny way, but just kind of a, a mood piece where he feels a little out of place, stranger in a strange land. So, Meg, if, I, if I'm if i saying these very serious, <laughs> yeah. contemplative things to you, and what are you going to so to me? I can't wait. Well, it's a friend of my husband, Joel, and anybody who knows Joel, he's a real cut up. Yeah. So I'm sure you knew coming into yeah, this, I'm his the, elements are going to be funny. building it up. <laughs> so his actor is Tim Heidecker, best known for Tim and Eric. And Decker. <laughs> okay, and, okay, okay. Hey, he can do it's it. free he real can, estate. He can do it. And, a dramatic role. Um, Sorry, and then, I'm crying right now. Okay, and then uh, his his um, his wild card element is a mm-hmm. flashback to the old country, like in The Godfather, either a youthful memory or his ancestors. <laughs> So. It's worth it. I can imagine Joel saying it. Yeah. It's not even the thing itself. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, we're gonna end up yeah. a lot of just laughter. Okay. Um yeah, so Tim Heidegger, Ooh. flashback to the old country. Okay. So I could picture if you oh, know yeah. well, Sterling K. Brown makes, is like yeah. an expat, then there's clearly like Tim Heidegger is like the sleazy other expat who's like always oh. wearing like a leisure jacket. Okay. Like yeah, a, he's got a Hawaiian shirt unbuttoned, yeah. unbuttoned. three or four buttons oh, yeah. deep. Okay. He's got that. That like slick back hair. Slick back hair. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't understand my sound effect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like he's always looking over his sunglasses, oh, you know. Okay, okay. With like yeah. Mm. And with then, like a coconut. Yeah, I don't know. Just tell he's always got like coconuts. a tropical drink. Yeah, with an umbrella in it. Yeah. yeah so maybe he's the comic. Room? You know what? We're we think that we can't make this work, but what about if it's like an Aki Korsmaki vibe? Oh, it's got some dark humor. Yeah. So it does have its contemplative moments. Oh my, we can save anything. We I'm sorry. Save, I'm just so proud this, of us. Okay. The script doctor is in. <laughs> the script doctor is in. Uh, yeah, so Sterling K. Brown is, you know, trying to, you know, he's an expat. He's yeah. in. Maybe he's going to have a breakup. But then maybe he's like staying in some weird hotel. Mm-hmm. And clearly, Tim Heidegger is the guy who like won't leave him alone. Let me like, show you the ropes, kid. Yeah, like guys like us, right? <laughs> yeah. And like Aki Kurosawa characters, just is wearing sunglasses all the just time. Just all the time, yeah. I mean, I feel like the flashback to the old country has got to be like one of those like Tim Heidegger spinning a yarn yeah, yeah. and like mm-hmm. talking about yeah. his. I'm just. I mean, yeah, clearly no. his background is not. Maybe it should. Maybe his family should be Finnish, and it's like okay, there we go. The old, it's like old, a cult, country. old, old country, and it's about his ancestors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, I think we've actually, I mean, I was, Maybe I didn't have high expectations, but I think this sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah, or it's going to end up. it's called Mother's Boy. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know. That's a working title. It's on it's the, it's the, the working title, because yeah. I don't know where the Mother's Boy No, I don't want any Mother's is. Unless the innkeeper is like, call me Mother. <laughs> or, or the bar, like the hotel bar, it's called Mother's, mother's Boy. Yeah, maybe. Mother's, mother's yeah, maybe. Or this is going to be like when um, Park Chan-wook made Stoker. Oh. And everyone was like, it sucks. It's like his first English Aww. language. And it's like, it was so anticipated. And then yeah, he made like, that and people were like. It's like, we're rethinking this is, your, your entire career Yeah. Now. I like, mean, luckily like, he came back from it. So yeah. this is a movie that. I was going to say, or My Blueberry Nights. Yeah. One Car White. Yeah. Mm. So hopefully we're not like cratering. <laughs> yeah, we're not ruining anyone's one. career here. But after that, uh, Chen Wook made uh, Handmaiden. So oh, yeah, he yeah, came yeah. back around. That's oh, fine. Man, it's elliptical. Okay. Yeah. I actually would totally watch this movie. I think it sounds pretty Mother's good. Mother's Boys come into a, like a like a small screen theater near you. <laughs> Six theaters nationwide. Yeah, exactly. I can picture like a weird parody <laughs> poster with the two of them, like Sterling K. Brown. And they're like back to back. And like, yeah. this guy. <laughs> I, in another world, it's like an 80s buddy comedy Ooh, for sure. Okay, okay. talk about the things that are uh on our radar things we've just watched or would recommend or things that look interesting maybe so uh really um the things i've been watching lately i don't know if there's anything spectacular uh i mentioned tom of finland last time um so i watched tom of finland the the, uh, or the yeah the uh, biopic but the iconic queer artist and it was um you know, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Nothing much to say there. And then I watched uh, the documentary short about Tom of Finland. Right after that, uh, it's on a canapé. <laughs> uh, the film's called Daddy and the Leather Academy. 
and quite a title, and it is pretty '90s <laughs> as far as the documentary goes. Yeah. So uh, you know, I don't. Again, I don't know if I'd recommend it. Anyway, it exists. It's um, a thing. <laughs> it's out there. Yeah. Uh, watch the Black Mirror Bandersnatch whole thing, the Choose Your Own Adventure one. Oh, yeah. One. I wa- we watched that with our friend Veronica. Yeah. I'd say interesting. My <sighs> take is interesting concept, but damn oh, exhausting. The, yeah. And the plot was just like what? It was like paper it's skeletal It's like, thin. where's it the beef? There I kept being no like, where's beef. that demon? I want more of that demon. Yeah, we were like, we chose the wrong choice. Let's go back and yeah, like yeah. choose a different one. And, and it was like, like oh, no, we no. chose the, the fun one, apparently. No, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, one standout was uh, the movie Demon from a few years ago by Polish. <gasps> the Polish film. Yes. Okay. Oh, that yes. movie's incredible. Yes. So by, uh, is it Marcin uh, Rona about a Dibuk, the figure in Jewish mythology, mm-hmm. that uh, possessing a groom at his wedding reception. So I would definitely say that is worth a watch. Yeah, uh, that and that's yeah. like an incredible commentary on Poland and its, its oh, yeah, cultural yeah. denial of the Holocaust. Yeah, but it still has that spark of like, of life too, you know, like it oh, still yeah. has. It's it a still very has intimate, a like a family drama. Yeah, it's, but... it's heavy in some ways, but also light in others. Yeah. Um, so as far as things, I found down the rabbit hole. Um, so director Peter Strickland of Duke of Burgundy, he has this delicious movie coming out. That I'm very excited about called In Fabric. Ooh. And so here's a synopsis: uh, a haunting ghost story set against the backdrop of a busy winter sales period in a department store follows the life of a cursed dress as it passes from person to person with devastating consequences. Ooh, that does sound delicious. Yeah, and I was like, of course, I'm like, ooh, retail fashion, Yeah, I'm like you in know? department stores. I know, I just think of, like, gorgeous, like a, mm. like a Neiman Marcus kind yes. of department store. And women, like, in a three-way mirror. It like, yeah. could be creepy. And just, like, texture. Like a hall of mirrors. Yeah. And then, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And when I was looking up uh, The Handmaiden, because it was, yeah, like I said, tenuously connected to my picks, I found that it was based on a novel called Fingersmith, Sure. Great title. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. By, by the Welsh author um, Sarah Waters. And she's written several things that actually looked pretty interesting mm. and been made into films and, and shows. So uh, there is an iteration of uh, Fingersmith that is a British series uh, that I kind of want to check out. Yeah. And the last one is when I was re- researching, I found a film called, um, and I don't know German, so I'm, um, this is pretty pretty German of a title, so I may get it wrong, but Rewind, colon, Dies by Chance. Uh, and we'll put that in the show notes. Um, the synopsis is, while investigating a murder case, widowed police commissioner Linders makes a confusing discovery. One of the victims comes from a different time. So I was like, oh. <gasps> anyway, so I'm like, I'm, I'm all about that. I'm yeah, all about some, like, sure. uh, some time fuckery. Some time so. Yeah, I yeah. like that. So a lot of things to look forward to there. How about you? Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I only have a couple uh, recent watches, so... As I was preparing for this episode, I watched a film I thought would be fun. Starting over 1979, it stars Burt Reynolds as this guy whose wife is played by Candace Bergen. She divorces him to pursue like a Carol King type singing career. Oh. And he's, <laughs> so he starts up a romance with a preschool teacher played by Jill Clayburgh. One of your faves. Yeah. And he basically just treats her like total trash Ugh. the entire time while retaining the audience's sympathies, I guess. No. I don't know. It's basically like a backlash movie to 70s, like women's lib. And mm. it's basically asking, like, what about the poor husbands? Yeah. And there were so many frustrating and annoying things about this movie, which, let me say, like, I can run mm. a lot of stuff, but it was just, like, so misogynistic in this, like, way that was, like, come on, guys, don't you know what it's like when these, like, harpy ladies are blah, <laughs> yeah, blah, blah. shrill Horrible. Harpies, and then just, yeah. like, even when he's supposedly being charming, he's just a dickhead. Mm. Uh, anyway, probably the worst thing about it to me is that in this universe, we're supposed to believe that Jill Clayburgh <laughs> would dump a sweet, handsome Boston Celtics player for an unemployed writer hung up on his ex-wife who teaches a single class at the community college. Uh, yeah, I don't buy it. Uh, give me a break. Track. Yeah, it doesn't track. <laughs> to the writer, I must say, in your dreams, buddy, you fucking wish. <laughs> ah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I will say there are some appearances in the movie Mary Kay Place, Wallace Shawn, and then Frances oh. Sternhagen, better known as Bunny McDougal on Sex and the City. <gasps> Bunny with her giant bows. Okay. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> and she even has like a similar, but you know oh what? None gosh. of that saves it. It's fucking oh, horrible. I, oh. And just know that I want to see a romance about Jill Clayburgh and this Boston Celtics player. Yeah. Like, in Boston in the 70s, I'm like, that? Yeah, prequel. Ooh, yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, so my other recent watch, I never heard of this, and I can't believe it. I'm sure you've seen it. Images, the 1972 oh, yeah. psychological mm-hmm. horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an Altman movie. Robert Altman directed Susanna York and Renee 
Auberge Noir. Oh, yeah. Who better known for, I don't know, Star Trek. Um, so basically it just follows Susanna York as this unstable children's author who like just increasingly like spirals as she's in her family's ancestral home mm-hmm. in Ireland. And there's just a lot of like, don't try to follow the plot because it's <laughs> yeah, very impressionistic. It. But yeah. uh, John Williams did the score. Mm. He also did the score for like what, Jurassic Park? Just like every everything. Movie that's big, and it's yeah. just like this amazing, it's like, Joel described it as this very tactile mm. sound design because mm. like even like the music, it's just like these drips and drops and mm. it's just I mean it's a really enjoyable film mm. um, so a movie that just came across my radar that I want to watch is mm-hmm. The Blue Hour it is the 2015 directorial debut of the Thai director Anucha Bunyawatana Mm-hmm. And it's about a gay teen who feels bullied and isolated in his school and in his family. And he finds solace with this other boy when he meets up with him for a hookup at an abandoned pool. But then there's, like, these dark supernatural horror elements that start, <gasps> be, like, filtering in, Ooh. which is definitely my shit. Yes. And the critical consensus seems to be that it's a bit uneven, but that Bunya Watana is a young director to watch. So I want to mm. see it just for, like, they're like, oh, the mood is really interesting. Yeah. And that's why want like a it's like erotic but then it's like scary horror yes, that I'm is my brand it. yeah so i gotta track that down nope. that's what's coming up for me well thanks for joining us one or more <laughs> i don't know i was trying to tie it back into i know romance. i was trying, i was like romance candy lovers <laughs> well lovers thanks for joining us if you like what you hear you can leave us a rating and a review and you can subscribe to keep up with us um, you can always send us apparently if you can send us any old damn elements and we can refund it in pitch generator so you yeah. can drop us a line storywordpod at gmail.com or via instagram at storywordpodcast or on twitter at storyword underscore pod and all the links of everything we discussed are in the episode notes that's it yeah <laughs> see you next time lover <laughs> <laughs>